0: In the name of the wondrous love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This uh, section of Paul's letter to the Philippians, known as the canonic hymn, the, the hymn of self-emptying love is thought, as I think I've said many times before, to have been a a hymn sung by the earliest Christians even before there were scriptures, New Testament scriptures. If you followed someone who had traced the the ichthus in the dust with the toe of their sandal to the unremarkable door of the local village butcher's house whispered the password in Aramaic, there's Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord, come Lord Jesus. And if you were secreted inside, chances are a version of this hymn would be a part of the worship. And what's more, if you asked one of these ragtag followers of Jesus, Who is this Jesus fellow you follow after and call Lord? What is this wondrous love? Chances are they would reply not with a creedal statement, not with intellectual arguments. They would reply by singing this song this canonic hymn, humming the tune of the loosening, dancing the jig of the great unbinding. Who is this Jesus we follow and call Lord? Not an idea, not a concept, a word in some creed, or an object of study, the indwelling presence of the risen Christ is a person encountered in a relationship of mutual self-offering. The indwelling presence of the risen Christ is a person encountered in a relationship of mutual self-offering. He is the one who was before the foundation of the world, who is now and is to come. He is the one who does not regard his equality with God as something to be grasped, held on to, exploited, but opens his hand, releases his grasp, and assumes the form of a servant obedient unto death, even death on a cross to free us, to free us from our captivity to sin and death, to share the divine life with human beings, to make us very partakers, partakers by grace of God's nature. So against a picture of a distant, unresponsive, God sitting grumpily on a throne, overly concerned with what goes on between the sheets, the canonic hymn reveals instead a living, loving, and liberating God who descends to us in the flesh in order to draw the whole world to God's self. It's the descent so that we might ascend in him and with him. God, in the person of Jesus, comes down, heals, and feeds, ties a towel about his waist, stoops, kneels, and washes our feet in the dark of our greatest need. God offers all of God's self to us with nothing held back, nothing in reserve, in order to love us into loving others. Paul's words in the letter to the Galatians, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, should not be regarded or heard as extraordinary or even particularly remarkable, but as entirely normative for the life of every Christian. The Christian life is making the journey into this wondrous love into the wideness of god's mercy that the unrepeatable uniqueness of this very body mind and spirit touched by grace might express god's love as only this mind body and spirit can it's why when we baptize christians it's not a mistake that we don't use last names (laughs) We simply say Jim or Jane or Jehoshaphat since it's Utah, you know. Um, um, and we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The last name of every baptized Christian, remember, is Jesus Christ. The great adventure of discipleship is that, as it says in the first letter of John, what we will be has yet to be revealed. What does the Christ pattern of self-emptying love look like in this one here, in that one there, as this body, mind, and spirit? No good comparing ourselves to others because they ain't us. We ain't them. What does non-grasping, non-exploitative, open, handed love of God that stoops and feeds and meets the stranger in their need look like in the minute particulars of your life here and now in this place and in this time that's the discipleship question the thing is we have this beautifully terrible power of free will, we can choose where and in whom we placed our trust, can't we? We can choose in what direction we face and where we place our attention, where we take our stand, where we plant our feet, from what spring we drink, in whom we are rooted and grounded. In the person of Jesus, love comes down, is here, now, knocking. Knocking at the door of the heart. Just waiting to be recognized, received, basked in, and shared with others. And the question is whether we will or not become partakers. Become partakers who run, run to him with open hearts. Our reading from Ezekiel frames this beautifully terrifying freedom uh, in terms of being caught up in stale old stories, uh, in hackneyed phrases, tired truisms, and played out proverbs that blind us to the freshening work God is actually up to. Sort of like, oh, I don't know, Jonah last week, uh, talking to himself, talking himself into a miserable hell under a dead tree while all of Nineveh rejoiced. Sort of like that. Sort of like Joseph's brothers fearing retribution where there was only washed clean baptismal waters and forgiving tears. And I will take care of you and your little ones. The Israelites are, we must say, rather predictably uh, walking around murmuring like we do. And they're murmuring a beautiful hackneyed phrase, a beautifully tired truism, a beautifully played out proverb. The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, you know, try saying that five times to yourself and see how it makes you feel. The parents have eaten sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on edge. Do that five times before you wake up and get out of bed and you're sunk before the day's even started contracted, fixated, identified with the story of, what do you know, fear, scarcity and lack. It's a story that makes them actually fearful of a God on whom they blame their own bad behavior, projecting it outward as punishment rather than facing the uncomfortable truth about themselves. Who's unfair? <laughs> the incredulous Lord asks, echoing his question to Pouty Jonah last week Is it right for you to be angry? Whereas my children would say, Seriously? They always add dad at the end of that. Seriously, dad. But the discipleship question, again, is this. Who or what is here when that story is seen through and released? Come and see, take and eat. Get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. Turn then and live. Drop the storyline and enter into Jesus' warm embrace divine birth, human birth, really? Seriously? Are we going to pen Jesus up in a cabinet of arm's length intellectual curiosities? Or are we simply going to let him love us? You might remember in the Book of Common Prayer prayer for a bereaved person that reminds us helpfully, I think, that God does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. God's only desire is to come to us, to stoop, kneel, wash, and feed us in the darkness of our deepest need. And all that is required is that we, in imitation of the unclenched blessing hand of Jesus, open our hands and receive. We turn from trying to secure our happiness, our self-image, and identity in things outside of ourselves, in relationships, possessions, changing circumstances, our fickle health, substances, the list goes on and on. And we return and rest and trusting surrender to the Lord, who is indeed our crag and our stronghold, our strong rock, our castle to keep us safe in times of trouble. We go to the vineyard, even if we said we wouldn't. In a fit of go it alone peak, we turn. From trying to secure our life by our own frantic efforts and instead offer ourselves open-handedly just as we are to God into your hands I commend my spirit certainly we let go and let God and release our grip on diminishing stories but we also engage in a wholehearted giving over of our entire being into God's hands we change our minds. We repent. We turn from self-centered seeking and return to God's vineyard. God's vineyard, incidentally, where the work is a lot more like play in the company of old easy yoke. Why wouldn't you go? This is really the essential dynamic of the Christian life the wonderful exchange of which Saint Irenaeus speaks. The God who pours God's self out for us, elicits in us a similarly patterned pouring out of self-offering. You might say, actually, that the canonic hymn is an earworm or a catchy tune sung not only with our lips, but with our lives. The open handedness of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit opens our hands as we are built into the kingdom, one forgiven enemy at a time. But again, like Peter at the Last Supper, who won't let Jesus wash him, self-sufficiently self-sufficiency rather dies hard doesn't it for all of us we say we'll go to the vineyard where all we have to do is play in the company of easy yoke jesus but we don't and perhaps this is what makes the christian path so simple and yet so challenging We don't really have to do anything. We have to become perfect receivers to let ourselves be loved, which is the Father's will from before the foundation of the world, after all. To be held holy and blameless in God's sight, already done. But we, we clutch, we grab, fuss, fix, fiddle, hold on, thinking we know better than how God does. We know better how things should go. And then we find ourselves miraculously locked in a litany of complaint. The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What we do. No one quite gets at this like Ruth Burroughs, who turned 100 years old on August 18th. So, happy birthday, Ruth Burroughs. Uh, it's the pen name of a British Carmelite, Sister Rachel. She reminds us if the heart of Christianity is the God who gives nothing less than God's own self, which it is, right? It follows that the fundamental stance a Christian must take is that of receiving him. We must accept to be loved. Allow God to love us. Let God be the doer. Let God be God to us. Can we let ourselves be lavished by this wondrous, wide, merciful love? The risk, of course, is that in all the sour grape busyness of serving God, doing things for God, and offering. God, something with our teeth set on edge. We'll never admit to that, but that's how we do it. Uh, we miss, we miss the stunning fact that God loves us first. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That there is no strange country to which we can stray, into which Jesus won't journey and offer us his very body and his very blood, if we would just for a moment stop munching pig pods. Maybe the gospel is telling us that it's as simple as opening the hand. Maybe it's as simple as letting ourselves be loved and everything else takes care of itself. Maybe it's as simple as seeing how what we take for stones is Eucharistic bread. And the only thing to do is to give humble thanks for the gift of what miraculously is. Maybe maybe that, that is the song Christ is singing and dancing right now in our hearts. And we've just never heard it over all the chatter, Mm -hmm. amen.